This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for the statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to Executive Leaders Radio. In this hour, you'll hear directly from our region's finest business leaders. Through each of the interviews, these high-achieving leaders become relatable role models who share how they were able to build their enterprise, their personal secrets of success, about leadership styles and opportunities that lie ahead. Prepare to be inspired and entertained and to hear wisdom unheard elsewhere. Executive Leaders Radio. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio, broadcast from Cressa. This is your host, Les Smolin, Vistage International, with my co-hosts, Avery Rand, Cressa, uh, Jerry Stevens, Vistage, and Mark Haas, AEG, and Joe Applebaum, Potomac Companies. We've got a great lineup of guests for you on our show today. Jerry, why don't you give us a rundown? Yes, sir. We have Melissa Wires, uh, Executive Director of Every Action. We have uh, Sean Boynes, Executive Director of American Association for Anatomy. Uh, we have Norm Linsky, CEO of the Linsky Group, and Frank Antizana, founder and CEO of iTech AG. Uh, thanks, Jerry. Uh, so first up, we've got Sean Boynes, Executive Director, American Association of Anatomy. Welcome, Sean. What's the American Association of Anatomy? American Association for Anatomy is one of the oldest scientific organizations in the United States. We're 132 years old. That's pretty old. And how big it or is. small? We are six staff strong, uh, 2,000 members around the world representing 52 different countries. And how did you get a job there? Recruiters found me. I have a career in association management, was working for another nonprofit, and based on my accomplishments at that particular organization and some of the work that I had done in the association community, people knew what I was capable of, and they came looking for me, and it was a great opportunity. What was the skill in particular that they thought was particularly special that was important at that time? change management and being able to produce results. Which why, was, why was that important? Well, I think working in the nonprofit space, it's always challenging because you're looking for funding sources and you're trying to engage people in the mission and vision of the organization. And that means you constantly have to be at the forefront of change and leading volunteers to do that because in many instances, you need those people to realize what the organization is really trying to accomplish. Interesting. Where'd you grow up? Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So what was it like growing up in Lancaster? It's a great place to grow up. All of my family was there. I grew up in a very insular environment. We all lived about 10 blocks away from each other. So what do you mean? Well, people were close. You know, I had easy access to aunts, uncles, cousins, and friends, and we all went to the same schools, and it was a very safe, close-knit environment to grow up in. But you had all these aunts and uncles that you grew up with? Yeah, my mom was one of nine children, so lots of lots of kids. All in Lancaster? All in Lancaster, yes. Huh. And what were you in the pecking order of uh, your brothers and sisters? I'm the youngest of five. Youngest of five? Yes. What makes the youngest of five a special child? Well, I kind of grew up like an only child because of the significant age difference between me and my siblings. So I didn't have to share a whole lot, but I had to learn how to be part of a team, if you will, by playing nicely with others and my cousins and other friends. Avery, you want to get a, you got a question there? Yeah, Sean, curious about the dynamic um, within your household and, and within the several households of your families and how that's kind of impacted um, where you are today with your organization. I had a tremendous amount of support given how close-knit my family was. So I realized the value of 
being around people that cared about you, that loved you, and wanted the best for you. And I kind of carried that through my life and continued to surround myself with people that support me. What do you mean support? What kind of support did you get, and how does that show up today? People that encouraged me, people that didn't allow any limitations to hold me back, people that were there for me when I failed, people that were there for me to continue to like just help me financially, help me emotionally, and give me the things that sometimes we just need that encouragement to keep going. And who, anybody in particular do that for you? My mother was my biggest champion and uh, never held back on supporting me even if she knew it was going to be a bad decision but there would be a lesson learned and she let me learn those lessons and that meant a lot to me hmm. mark what do you think what kind of books did you read growing up uh, science fiction um sci-fi stuff that uh, was an escape for me i knew that i wanted to get out of lancaster pennsylvania and that gave me an opportunity to just kind of unplug and go where the book took me did you see yourself as any kind of particular protagonist in those books? Was there a particular one that you remember that you identified with? Not really. It was more so the escapism of you know places that were unfamiliar or places that seemed interesting and places that I wished I could you know, teleport myself to, if you will. Did you know you were going to leave Lancaster? I knew, yes. <laughs> I, knew, I knew very early on that that was not where I would uh, spend my, my later years in life. How did you know that? It's a great place to grow up, but if you aspire to anything, it, it really wasn't too many opportunities or um, just things that would, I know, um, keep me interested. So I knew I had to explore the world and get out. Hmm. What are you thinking, Jerry? So, Sean, how did you make money when you were young, 8 to 14? I worked very early on and kind of you know, went to school like most kids do. But working for me was a sense of independence because it allowed me to earn my money and spend that money how I wanted to spend it. And I spent it on stuff that most kids do, junk food and, you know, toys and going to the movies and going shopping and roller skating and stuff like that. So in the moment stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. What did you do different at work that, you know, separated you from the other kids? Commitment and doing a good job. I always wanted to do a good job. So there was a work ethic that I realized early on, you know, if you if you put in the extra work or you put in the extra hours or if you raised your hand for the extra work, you would be rewarded accordingly. And that's carried through my life. George, you want to ask a follow-up there? So your 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 first job was in a, a fast food was it was it flipping burgers? Was it McDonald University? What it was, was it? Burger King. Burger King. Yeah, right. with the polyester uniform and everything. All right. So, so you had a lot of contact with other people in in that role, right? I did. Yes. And how did that play forward to your uh, your current role? It, it's interesting. You know, there was a sense of responsibility. Um, the owner of the store gave me keys as a teenager to open the store, which was you know, something that many wouldn't do nowadays. However, I had a sense of responsibility to live up to his expectations and to do a good job in helping him run his business. You mentioned earlier something about your aunt and uncle. Um, they were the rocks of your family, you said? Yes. What do you mean by that? They were hardworking, and they always provided opportunities for me to, you know, once again, earn money. So I would go by their house. I would rake the leaves. I would do chores. I would help my uncle fix things, and they would pay me in return for, for the hard work. Hmm. What did you learn about 
hard work from doing all that with them? Not only was I helping family, but I was also learning the value of you know, putting in the time and the effort to do something and to do it well, and in return, being compensated for that, regardless of the amount. It wasn't about the money so much as it was about, you know, being acknowledged for the effort that I was putting into whatever the job was. You were aware of that? Yeah. Yeah. I knew it was important. So is there a particular transformational moment in your life, uh, an event, something somebody said to you or did? Yeah. Yeah. In elementary school, um, Mrs. Fisher, Um, saw that I was one of her uh, brighter students and spoke to my mother and told my mother that it was important that I continue to receive the kind of education that I needed to do well and encouraged my mother to enroll me in a school outside of the immediate district that I lived in. And I went to a different school, and and that set me on a trajectory that um, changed my life. Why was that important for her? I think she wanted to see me excel. It was the first time um, someone other than a family member had encouraged me and my mother um, to stay focused and to nurture that talent that she saw in me. And it, it stuck with me. And I wanted to not only do well, but to make her proud, too. How did, go ahead, how did Mark. You, how did you bounce back from, from any setbacks you have? You know, as a kid, setbacks are hard. Um, you tend to not really appreciate the value of the lesson, but I would not allow it to hold me back from trying again. And if anything, it inspired me to want to do better the next time around. So I wouldn't run away away from it per se, but I would think, how can I do this differently? How can I do this better? How can I prove myself? How can I show that I'm still, you know, capable of doing whatever it is? Did you do that by yourself or did you rely on others? Back then, I would say I did it myself, um, and when I did need help, you know, I would go to my family first and ask for help, but it was more so self-driven. Mm-hmm. 18, you moved to D.C. What happened? It was one of the best decisions I made. It changed my life and my, my I would say, my, my trajectory. Um, I moved to D.C. to go to college mm-hmm. and, you know, had to figure things out on my own. It was my first time away from home. I didn't have family around me. And it was uncomfortable, it was awkward, and it was scary, and I committed myself to figuring it out. Hmm, what, what do you mean? How, how did you adjust to, the, to this new little world that you came to that was different from where you grew up? I knew I had to immerse myself in the experience in order for me to, to get as much out of it as I possibly could. And if I didn't try, I wouldn't know. And there was no plan B for me. I knew that I would not go back to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So I put everything I could into doing well in college and learning the city. Um, D.C. was a very different city back then in the late 80s, early 90s. So my family questioned, why are you going to this crime-ridden city and um, leaving the safety of home you know, for college? And it was important to me to get away from the nest, if you will, Got and to, to learn about myself. Hey, Sean, what's the uh, website address? Anatomy.org. Anatomy.org. We've been talking with Sean Boynes, the Executive, Dire- Executive Director of American Association for Anatomy. Uh, we'll be back in a moment right after this business spotlight. This is Les Smolin with Vistage International, and this is your business spotlight. Joining us today is Mick Helmicki, Client Development Executive at DLA Piper. Welcome, Mick. Hey, Milko, uh, Mick, what's uh, DLA Piper? Yeah, DLA Piper is one of the largest globally footprinted law firms um, in the world, um, and we specialize in business law. 
And what's your role in the company? Sure. I'm the connected tissue between the law firm and the external community, including our clients. What does that mean? Sure. So I play a value-add uh, role primarily with emerging growth and venture-backed uh, businesses on capital formation strategy and on connecting our clients with other clients and value-add resources. And what do you like most about the job? Sure. I was a DLA client before I joined the firm, oh, so that's I have a great understanding of the firm's capabilities as it relates to business growth. What do you think makes the organization special in that regard? Sure. I think our specialty, obviously, working with emerging growth companies and the global footprint for clients who are trying to tackle relevant international issues. Hmm. And, and who is, in fact, the perfect client for you? Sure. We service everyone from Fortune 1000 clients to emerging growth tech companies and basically love to work with them over a long period of time from inception to exit. And what do you enjoy most about the work? Sure. I've worked in the trenches with most of the DLA attorneys who I support today through good, bad, and ugly and have a great understanding of the skills that they bring to the table and the value-add role that I have in the equation. Hey, Mick, what's the website address? Sure. DLAPiper.com. Thanks. We've been speaking with Mick, Mick Helmicki, Client Development Executive at DLA Piper. This is Les Smolin, and that's been your Business Spotlight. This is Les Smolin with Vistage International, and this is your Business Spotlight. Joining us today is Atta Barol, Director of Business Operations at the Childress Agency. Uh, Atta, what is the uh, Childress Agency? Uh, we provide custom website development and digital marketing solutions for more than 800 clients from a wide range of industries, uh, including nonprofits and the government. And, and your role specifically, what do you do? Uh, I oversee all of our uh, marketing and website development projects from the initial um, requirement gathering to the final delivery. And what do you like most about your job? Uh, I get to work with a lot of small businesses and help them grow on a daily basis. What do you think the organization does really well that's kind of unique to it? Um, we have a lot of th things that are unique about our company, but the most important one is we go beyond marketing and help our customers. Uh, like what do you mean you go beyond marketing? Pricing model, HR practices as well. It's pretty involved. Yeah. Yeah, so what do you think your customers appreciate about uh, the company? Uh, they get to see monthly reports, and we have very advanced tracking and reporting mechanisms that shows them the return on their investments. So there's a lot of results that you're showing. Absolutely. Yeah, and who's the perfect client for you all? A uh, perfect client is small to mid-sized businesses who are interested in growing their company. And what do you enjoy most about the work? Uh, again, uh, working with small businesses, I help them um, grow their business from... Um, supporting them in every aspect of what they do. And what's the website address? Childressagency.com. We've been speaking with um, Atta Barol, Director of Business Operations at the Childress Agency. This is Les Smollett, and that's been your Business Spotlight. We're back, and you're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Les Smollett. It's my pleasure to introduce you to our next guest, Frank Antizana, founder and CEO of iTech AG. Frank, welcome. And what's iTech AG? Les, uh, I don't know. Uh, ITEC AG, a consulting, uh, IT consulting organization focused on modernizing uh, federal systems. Um, have a bit of a, a commercial practice as well, but majority of our, our time is spent on modernizing the way the government's doing business today. Okay, and how big or small? We're about 130 people, uh, 
30 or so, 35 uh, active contracts that we're, that we're executing on. It's a good size firm. And um, how did you get a job there? I started the company with, uh, with my brother. It's interesting. We, we, we were one day in his basement after a couple of bottles of wine, and that translated into uh, a good story of what do we do next? How do we tackle uh, consulting services to the federal government? He came from a strong Fortune 500 background, myself as well. We just combined our, 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 our knowledge and came up with iTech AG. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, so where did you guys grow up? Oh, that's an interesting question because it's, it's a variety of cities. But um, Let's I start, start with where you were born. I was born in uh, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, right outside of uh, St. Louis mm-hmm. um, in 84. I ended up in uh, Fort Belvoir, uh, right in Alexandria area here in Virginia. Well, well how, f- before you, um, how long did you stay there before you moved to Belvoir? Uh, I was in Missouri for about four years. So um, four years. Do you have any recollection of kind of leaving there or not so? Not so much other than uh, the road trip from, uh, from uh, St. Louis to, um, to Virginia. What do you mean? It was interesting. We had a, uh, a pet parakeet, Peter, and um, I remember him. We, came, we put his cage into the van and we st- got onto the road trip. And I remember you know, feeding him, changing his water. And it was just, he became so much uh, a part of that trip that he got all the attention for the most part. And like four-year-old and you were given the responsibility for taking care of Peter the it parakeet? It was the three brothers. It wasn't just me, but I, I had a big role in it because the parakeet was bought for me and my parents brought me that pet. So it was, it was my bird per se. Um, but all three of us were engaged. Interesting. And I think you mentioned your brother. So you what? Youngest of three? I'm the youngest of three. Yes. What's the age difference? My oldest uh, brother is nine years older than I. Um, the one that falls is six years older. Okay. What was dad doing? Uh, my father was, was in the military. Um, he was in the Army. He was uh, uh, stationed here in uh, Fort Belvoir um, and uh, working for a defense mapping school. Um, Okay. And what was mom doing? Uh, my mother was the, the CEO of our household. Uh, she kept us uh, in line. She brought us up, raised us. Uh, she made sure we had our chores carved out. So we had strict swim lanes and no one was getting out of them uh, or trying to get away from without doing chores. Hmm. Uh, she, we had a really strict household. Hmm, interesting. Mark, what are you thinking? So if, if uh, the household was one with, with a fair amount of rigor, what brought you comfort as a child? It was the um, how close we were as a family. Um, that Knowing that we had, I had that support uh, behind whatever I was doing, and I had my older brothers backing me up, or my parents kind of supporting it. I think that's really what bonded us as a family, made us stronger. Um, what was the conversation like at the <coughs> dinner table? What did you guys talk about? It was interesting. My father would always ask us, you know, what, what was our highlight of our day? Right? He was very interested in what we were learning, what we weren't learning, um, what issues, or what, or if we didn't have any issues. But he was always curious about, you know, how our day was going. Um, but he was very strict about making sure that we did that we furthered our our education. So education was a big topic for him. Um, he wanted to make sure that we had a good head on our shoulders and that we were g- preparing ourselves for for higher education after after graduating from high school. Do you mm-hmm. think they they see you today as a reflection of who you were growing up? Absolutely. I think I would say my mother and father would say yes. You know, we saw Frank and you know endeavoring into the things he's done so far. But yeah, we knew him back when. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what do you think, Avery? Yeah, Frank, earlier you mentioned that you kind of uh, identified an entrepreneurial spirit at a young age. So curious what you were doing to make money. So uh, it's interesting because after Fort Belvoir, we ended up uh, going to Bolivia. My father retired and and decided to move back to his roots. And uh, so we all moved back. And it was right around the the rap era where Vanilla Ice, MC Hammer, Millie Vanilli, and everyone was buying these press-on earrings. And... um, 
my father had a, had a tool shack, a tool shed in a, in our in our house, and I went to his to one of his drawers. I found these hook anchors, and I would cut them, and they would become little earrings. So I started to to do that, and I took take them to recess and sell them for for ten pesos uh, to my friends because they all wanted to have these press-on earrings that our parents wouldn't let Did us. Did he have know what here. you were doing? I didn't, but it gave me financial freedom. I could buy the an extra ba- bag of Skittles or Snickers. Or <laughs> it was just interesting to to be able to have my own cash and and make my own decisions with it. Go ahead, Avery. You got to follow up there. I mean, so you've always identified as kind of a salesperson, and and a, any other ventures. Yeah, well, to follow on to that, I got a little more ambitious, I would say, and um, my uh, my father, being military, was a huge uh, firearm fanatic, and he collected firearms and ammunition and he just had an excess of a particular ammo and I found a way to, to sell it to one of my buddy's fathers uh, that was he was running a, a hunting and fishing um, shop and he would buy the, the excess ammo that I had to take to him. What would you learn about yourself from that that actually translates into what you do today? I, I learned that sales came easy to me and you know the ability to to just bring a product to the table and you know demonstrate its value and and then show that to explain that to someone and, and actually make a compensation, financial compensation around it. That's what I learned. And that's really what, what you know, awakened my interest in, in becoming an entrepreneur and uh, building a few businesses. Hmm. What are you thinking, Jerry? So I'm wondering uh, what it was like to adapt to moving to Bolivia at nine years old. It, it was a huge culture sho- shock, I'll tell you that. Um, I remember jumping onto my first bus ride and looking outside of the window and alongside the road, seeing cows and sheep being herded, um, and it was just th- the road was it was all it was all dirt. It wasn't like paved, so it was it was a shocker for me. Those thirty minute rides were were, were a shocker. But I made a close friend, uh, Marvin Sower. He became my buddy, my close friend, and he kind of showed me the ropes around Bolivia, the culture, the friends. So I got to meet a lot of people. Um, he was really you know pivotal to to me. Uh, adopting uh, my 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 ways in in the bolivian circle and um it's funny enough life has brought us together you know at some point in our careers we split apart and um after several years we're now working together so so what did that learning experience how how, how does that play forward into your current role being able to to be agile and adapting and accommodating to to different changes is, is is huge um uh, the ability to do that and do that in a quick manner and, and see results bringing value, um, I think that's really the value of, of having that you know that diverse. Uh, what, do you, what do you mean? Can you give an example? Going from one city to the other city to the next city and and being able to accommodate to a different uh, circle of friends, a different environment. Um, you know, keep in mind that Bolivia is a third world country, so you're going through you know from the U.S. to Bolivia and having advanced. Uh, technologies and infrastructure, you know, whether for its highways or just the stores and commerce and retail to a third world country where you're a little bit more prohibited from access to those types of things um, and being able to adapt and, and, and successfully adapt to that. And I think that's given uh, a strong foundation but for you, my information. But you lived there at a pretty early age. And, and was life different there other than what you're describing for you in terms of what day-to-day things you did or didn't do? Absolutely. It was, it was completely different. Um, what do of you course, mean? Of course, this was childhood, right? So, uh, the '80s and moving to uh, the late '80s to Bolivia, uh, the differences in what we would do and what what we didn't do was more on a, a more immature level. However, uh, I compare it now after leaving Bolivia in 2002, 
um, to the way I, the things I used to do um, it, throughout my uh, my high school years and my undergraduate degree, and coming to the U.S. and and, and executing as a professional in the U.S. Um, just the lifestyle is very different. The organization, the formality. Um, people are typically late to to meetings and different types of uh, events um, in South America. And in, in the U.S., you have to be on time. You have to. There's a formal process for everything. Yeah. So how how in particular? So go back to that place where you were in, in Bolivia. What did you learn from that that actually shapes your thinking now in terms of how you lead this organization? In fact, you're, I guess you share responsibility for running it. Exactly. Uh, so the putting some process and putting some formal procedures in place will get you further than doing things informally with no structure. Um, I see a lot of these enterprises in Bolivia plateau at a really early stage uh, versus and, and they just don't want to adopt or become more formal or have strict and rigorous processes in place. When did you become aware of that? Oh, when, I, when I realized that if I grabbed any one of the organizations I formed, if I put processes and procedures in place that would allow me to accomplish uh, a particular business activity from A to Z in a structured manner, I'd get results faster as opposed to trying to shoot by the hip or take something from in an informal fashion and not getting the results I was expecting. What did you see in Bolivia that, that caused you to start thinking about that? Thinking uh, like that? The, the, the way I saw enterprises plateau at a very early stage and not be able to go to the next level is really what o- awakened my interest. In, like, how can these companies have a successful product but not go beyond what they're, what they're selling at today? Hey, thanks, Frank. Frank, what's the website address? itechag.com. Uh, we've been speaking with Frank Antizana, founder and CEO of itechag. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com, to learn more about our executive leaders. We'll be right back after this break. Recognize your deserving business advisors on our nation's leading business with heart radio show, Executive Leaders Radio. Yes, recognize, you can recognize your deserving business advisors on our nation's leading business with heart radio show, executiveleadersradio.com. Simply visit executiveleadersradio.com securely enter their info and we'll reach out to spotlight your deserving business advisors on our nation's leading business with heart radio show executiveleadersradio.com don't wait this radio and online social media and search engine exposure is quite valuable yes this radio and online social media and search engine exposure is quite valuable to your business advisors who deserve to be recognized visit executiveleadersradio.com now to nominate your deserving business advisors for free exposure. And your name is? Jeff Lawson. And Jeff, what organization are you with? I'm with Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And wh- what do you guys do? What kind of stuff are you doing that's special? Well, we manage uh, conference centers and hotels, and we're currently managing the National Conference Center in Leesburg, Virginia. National Conference Center. How large or how small is this organization? Um, the conference center itself is 900 rooms in size, 350,000 square feet of meeting space, dining facilities for 850, uh, exercise facility all set on 61 acres of land. Wow, this is a large organization, isn't it? It is, very large. Uh-huh. And what's your role in the organization? I'm the general manager, and I have oversight of the uh, property and all the hospitality services that occur. Well, what's the general manager supposed to do with this large facility? Make sure I have a, make sure eight executive community members and a, and a full uh, staff of 210 do their daily jobs. So, how many folks do you have running through your halls on a weekly basis, or daily basis, or annual basis? What's that look like? Well, on a weekly basis, on a full house, we'll have uh, 900 per night, um, seven nights, uh, 6,300, which translates to about 20,000 meals a week. 
Wow. And uh, your job, are you working nine to five or do you end up having to work evenings and early mornings and weekends and stuff like that? No, I'd say I'm always on duty. Uh-huh. Do you, wh- what do you enjoy about your job? Meeting people, working with some of the finest hospitality people in Virginia, which is my team, and meeting our clients because they're wonderful. So you're helping your clients plan their events? Well, we help plan. Uh, they are there for some form of education that goes on at one end of our business, and at the other end of our business, they're there for social catering events, uh, weddings and such. So you're, you're, well, you're running a 24 by 7 facility, aren't you? We are. Uh-huh. What's the website address of this organization? Conferencecenter.com. Let me have that again. Conferencecenter.com. And your name again is? Jeff Lawson. And the name of the organization? Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And this has been your Business Spotlight. We're back, and you're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. It's my pleasure to introduce you to our next guest, Norm Linsky, CEO at the Linsky Group. Welcome, Norm. What's the Linsky Group? The Linsky Group is an organization formed approximately five years ago to work with nonprofits in the U.S. and abroad in the area of crisis management. And how big or small is this organization? We have. I'm the. I'm the CEO. We have approximately 12 consultants that work with us, and we have approximately 15 nonprofit clients. And uh, you do this by yourself, or is your wife involved in this in some way? My wife is involved. She has uh, a background in nonprofit world as well, and uh, she's an invaluable member of the firm. Hmm. And uh, where are you from? I'm originally from Gloucester, Massachusetts, just north of Boston. And uh, any brothers or sisters? I have a younger brother and a younger sister, both back in Gloucester, leading their own very productive lives. And uh, what is being the oldest of three? What, what impact does that have on the role you play in that family? Well, the expectations were pretty high right, for, right from the get-go, both from my family and, and uh, for myself. Uh, it was clear from the get-go, study hard, stay out of trouble, and uh, make the most of myself. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a lesson a lot of kids learned. Um, what were mom and dad doing? Uh, my father was one of 12 brothers and sisters, and they were all in the, the junk business, the junk and scrap metal business in Gloucester, Massachusetts. Uh, very hardworking man. Your brother and had a junk, uh, a junk, he was a junk dealer? He was a junk dealer. My, fa- my father was a junk dealer. And By himself or with all of his brothers and sisters? Every or? single one of them. They were in the same business together, family business. That's interesting. Uh, and what about mom? Uh, mom was a homemaker. She worked during World War II, but uh, when we came along, she spent her time making sure we were raised right. Interesting. What are you thinking, Mark? So being in the nonprofit world sort of gives you a sense of, of who you are, that you're a mission-driven kind of purpose uh, person. What um, either character from a movie, TV, or book uh, most resonates with you? It reflects who you are. In- interestingly, um, actually, uh, Kirk, Kirk Douglas, who uh, in uh, a movie called Paths of Glory, it was also a book as well, uh, about World War I, and uh, the Kirk Douglas character in the movie was persistent, ethical, and uh, really answered to a, a very much higher calling than himself. How does that resonate with you today in your continuing work about how you do your work? Or resonated uh, with me profoundly. Uh, uh, the you as a, as a leader, as a as an executive, you're only as good as your team is, and you owe everything to your team. Give them the resources they need, uh, lead, listen, and uh, just just build teamwork and uh, find find the best in each person that's going to contribute to that greater good, whatever good that good might be. Hmm. You had a, a lot of cousins growing up. 
I had a few uh, with 12, uh, 12 uncles and aunts just on my father's side. Uh, we had almost 50 cousins, most of them also in Gloucester, Massachusetts. Big family. Uh, any particular role you play with respect to the cousins? We keep in touch. A lot of us uh, keep in touch. We, what about we, growing up? Uh, say, same comment. Most of my friends were named Linsky. they were and they were all absolutely terrific people went in wildly different directions in life but we were close and uh, that seemed normal to you I mean the other families you knew had that kind of setup or that kind of made you guys stand out yeah it was it was a DNA and I I was told actually these my my father's generation they were depression babies and what I was told growing up was that uh, the people in those days had larger families and yeah in Gloucester there were a lot of very large families so by large, 50 to you seem normal. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Interesting. What are you thinking, Jerry? So your brother and sister are still in Gloucester. Uh, why aren't you? They are. Well, I get there quite often. Uh, it's, uh, I, I love Gloucester. Uh, but uh, at a very early age, it was made clear I was going to go to college. And I wanted to go to college. And as soon as I got a taste of college and the big cities, I knew uh, that I wanted something larger than uh, where I was born. You said you were expected to get out. What did that mean? What did that mean? Well, I was uh, like to say that I was born with a book in my hand or very close, very, very close to it. And I was not going to be a power forward for the Celtics, which I originally wanted to wanted to be. So I'd better uh, learn, better earn my living with with my brains. And uh, uh, that's what I did. Always had a book and always just uh, trying to keep learning. Sure. Did you have a follow up there? Well, what was your favorite book? Oh, uh, same comment, Paths of Glory. Paths of Glory. <laughs> Absolutely. We're not plugging that movie or book, are we? No. <laughs> yeah, Avery, go ahead. Yeah, Norm, curious, um, being in the nonprofit world, if there was any kind of main event um, that happened amongst your family or with your parents um, that kind of directed you into the nonprofit sector? There was. There, there, there absolutely was. Uh, large family, lar- many uh, uncles and aunts, all of them un- encountered heart disease, and most of them pretty early in their lives, and cut a lot of lives short. My father died unexpectedly of a heart attack at 59. I had just started my career, which happened to be in public health, and I happened to be working in an, in an agency devoted to public health, and right then and there at age 27, I said, this is it. This is what I'm doing for the rest of my career. Did you always know you were going to pursue a career in public health? Uh, I Not always. It was in my early 20s. I originally thought I was going to be a, a PhD in, in, uh, in English literature, but the career prospects were not very great. So I hit the pause button for a couple of years, worked in a factory. What do you mean? You actually hit the pause button? I hit How the pause you? button. I went back to the family scrap metal business uh, with two college degrees and uh, very, very happily so, figured things out and realized where I wanted to go was give back in the area of public service. I did didn't know what area at that time. Was that a tough decision to make, to pause and go back? It was one of the best decisions I ever made. I've known too what many, do you mean? I know, I've known too many people that made their career decision and stuck with it at age uh, 12 or 18 or 22, even though it did not feel right after they went on for a, a few more years. Hitting that pause button, which I did for a couple years. What, did you put, get, what gave you the confidence to do that? Uh, well, I, well, I knew I was going to do something. I absolutely knew I was going to do something. I had a great family. I had a lot of, a lot of family support. Had a uh, terrific job in the, in the factory, making, making wonderful friends. Uh, very, very happy life. But I knew, I just knew I was going to do something bigger. Hmm. You mentioned earlier in, in the green room, you were talking about um, 
authority. What's your relationship with authority? authority. What's that got to do with what you do today? Uh, uh, authority. Well, don't hesitate. Uh, what I've told told myself is uh, don't hesitate to break to break rules. Now that's different from breaking laws, but uh, breaking lose breaking. Uh, rules going after the unconventional approach and I've taken that to my nonprofit career as, as well what do you mean just because something has been done this way in this in this nonprofit since 1952 does not mean that's the way to go moving forward But that's pretty risky to do that kind of stuff it, it sure is I've never been afraid of risk I've never worried about job security and uh, it's it's worked for me uh, why what happened to you growing up that actually shaped your confidence around taking risks and things like that, going the unconventional route? Well, it wasn't so much when I was, I was growing up, although I, I, I was building a toolbox when I, when I was growing up, understanding the value of hard work, understanding uh, the, the, the importance of finding good, good mentors. Uh, once, I, once I reached my, my high school years, that's, that's when I realized uh, that uh, f- following the, the conventional accepted approach is just not necessarily the way to go. That became a lot more refined as I went to work here in Washington, D.C. in the nonprofit world. How do you approach problems or solve problems? What's the sort of mechanism that you use to do that? A couple of things, but the primary one that I have is what I call the 70-30 rule. I've always stuck with this rule. 70% of the time, I listen. Uh, 30% of the time, I'm talking. If I'm, if I'm breaking that rule, I'm, not, um, I'm, I'm really not serving the group that I'm leading, leading well. <clears throat> and I found with the more responsibility I've had over the years leading large, larger groups, that 70-30 rule is even more important the larger the group is. What, go back to your mom and dad. Um, what's the thing you take from your dad that you use today? Oh, inc- uh, incredible hard work uh, and uh, uh, dedication to, to, to family. As I said, he was the hardest working guy I've ever, ever known. Did you get and to w- work with him a lot? Oh, uh, uh, as, as soon as I was young enough to pick up a piece of iron, uh, ab- absolutely. Again, a, a scrap metal business. Uh, I was working there from as early as I was six years old probably and uh, learn how to drive a stick shift truck at 10 years old mm. <laughs> that's when you learn you really can do anything and what just about, don't crash into the wall i'm sure mom would be really happy about that too so what's the thing you take from mom that you use today mom uh she she was uh, an extremely smart person she never really had the opportunity for uh, any education beyond high school uh and uh what a darn shame that was but she instilled that in me that uh, learning as much as possible never stop i'm turning 70 next week i uh, feel like i'm just getting started never stop learning that's what i learned from her and that's what i try to practice every day uh we appreciate that uh hey norm what's the website address the website address is linskygroup.com we've been speaking with norm linsky the ceo at linsky group don't forget to visit our website executiveleadersradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders and we'll be back in a moment right after this business spotlight You now can recognize your deserving business advisors on our nation's leading Business with Heart radio show, executiveleadersradio.com. Yes, recognize, you can recognize your deserving business advisors on our nation's leading Business with Heart radio show, executiveleadersradio.com. Simply visit executiveleadersradio.com, securely enter their info, and we'll reach out to spotlight your deserving business advisors on our nation's leading business with heart radio show, executiveleadersradio.com. Don't wait. This radio and online social media and search engine exposure is quite valuable to your advisors. Yes, this radio and online social media exposure 
is free and quite valuable to your business advisors who deserve to be recognized. Visit executiveleadersradio.com now to nominate your deserving business advisors. Want to help building your business with help from this show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. Some of the CEOs who have appeared on our shows over the last 10 years may be willing to help you grow Assuming you've ser- you're serious about your success, serious about your own success, because it all starts with the leader. If you're serious about creating your own successful business or truly committed to putting your nose to the grindstone and doing whatever it takes to make your business successful, we may be able to match you with successful CEOs who have created millions of jobs and earned millions of dollars to help you create your success. We've established unique relationships with a unique universe of over 7,000 CEOs who have created substantial wealth for their companies, their teams, and themselves. These women and men get the build in their blood and often continue to start and build businesses even after they've created substantial wealth for themselves because they love the challenge of building a business. Perhaps we can present you and your business to some of these CEOs to gain their interest in helping you. Now email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. To hopefully match you with some of the CEOs we've had on the show for the last 10 years. Mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. We're back and you're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. It's my pleasure to introduce you to our next guest, Melissa Wires, Executive Director at Every Action. Hi, Melissa. What's Every Action? Every action, we make software for nonprofit organizations to help with fundraising, communications, and advocacy. Hmm. And how big or small is this organization? Uh, we're a staff of about 400 people, and we have about 8,000 clients. That's a pretty good size. Um, yeah. And did you, uh, did you get a job there because uh, you found it, or how did you get a job there? Uh, so I've pretty much my whole career for many decades worked with nonprofit organizations and the, the founder of the company and I worked together in a, a previous job and uh, he was really doing a lot of work with uh, political campaign software and uh, we would meet every once in a while and I would just say my nonprofit folks have no good software to use. Why don't you change what you're doing a little bit and give my folks something good? And about five years ago, he called me up and said, that's what I'm going to do. Come run it with me. And that's how I got to every action. Hmm. So other than you've got this good idea, did he see something else in you that actually said you've got the right qualities to be the executive (laughs) director? Uh, I think so. I mean, I think uh, he felt like I had a good work ethic, I'm tenacious, and uh, I really have a lot of experience and know our client base very well and what they do and what they need to do it well. Interesting. So where'd you grow up? I grew up in Wheat Ridge, Colorado, which is a suburb of Denver. Mm -hmm. And um, mom and dad, what were they doing? 
my mom's a hairdresser. Uh, my dad left before I really was old enough to know him. So I grew up with my mom, my grandma, and my aunt. So you were surrounded by women. Yes, I was lucky. <laughs> uh-huh. And you have any uh, siblings? I have a younger sister. All women? Yeah, all women. Was that unique? Uh, yes, I mean, at the, at the, to me it wasn't at the time, but but yeah, it was it was unique. But how uh, so? Uh, you know, for me, uh, women did everything in the world, and so I really saw no limits for women. Uh, you know, they everything in my life was done by a woman. I was guided by a woman. My mom was a hairdresser, so even at work, it was all women, and that was very comfortable to me. Mm. Mark, you want to pick up on that one? Yeah, so what was what was your role um, as a child growing up among your friends? I, to a great extent, I kind of chose the games uh, and kind of made things up. You know, at times were a little bit different then, and so uh, my grandmother took care of us during the day, and she had a lot of work to do around the house, so our job was to go outside and play. And so we had toys and things, but for some reason we just played with what was in the yard and in the neighborhood, and I would make up a game and kind of assign roles to everybody, and we'd all play. Was was that an expectation? Is that something you took on, or were they looking to you to actually do that? I think probably a little bit of both. My games were popular for the most part, so uh, you know we'd we'd start off and people say, "What are we going to play?" And yeah, I'd say today we're going to get on a jet and go to Hawaii or, or whatever, and we'd do that. You got a pretty pretty vivid imagination. I did, and I probably still do. <laughs> yeah, Melissa, what was kind of your role amongst your siblings and all the neighborhood kids? And kind of going off what Mark said, um, it sounds like you were good at identifying you know what people could do and where they fit in um, to what you guys were playing. Does that translate into what you're doing today? I think so in some ways. You know, I, I hope with the people that I work with today that I'm really good at spotting what they're really good at doing and giving them opportunities to do more of that. And then where they have weaknesses, finding other people that can fill in with strengths that they have. You knew that when you were a child? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. But I think, uh, you know, to make the games go well, you had to know who could pretend to be a pilot and who couldn't, you know. And so I think sort of through trial and error, you know, I kind of figured out whose role was going to work and make them happy and who wasn't. Hmm. What's that got to do with how you lead today? Um... You know, I think it's I think it's important to take that time to get to know people a bit and really find out what their their strengths and weaknesses are and build teams that I really like to build around where people's strengths are. I think you should do more of what you're good at. Hmm. Jerry, what are you thinking? So you mentioned you were curious about the outside world growing up. What sparked that curiosity? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, in the 1600s, I would have been an explorer, I think, you know, finding new things. But but really, I think for me as a child, uh, Sesame Street was uh, incredibly exotic for me. You know, all the houses touched. People sat on stairs and talked to each other. Puppets came out of trash cans. I thought that was <laughs> an amazing neighborhood and, and was a little bit disappointed when I got into college and learned. Sesame Street had been designed to be familiar to kids in urban environments. And, and for me, it was just the opposite. You didn't grow up in an urban environment. No. no. <laughs> it was the suburbs and and uh, uh, fairly, it was Colorado. So you were outdoors a lot in the mountains and the wilds and whatnot. So how did that curiosity play forward into your career? Uh, 
you know, I, I think there is always wanting to find new things. So in some ways, it, you know, it was learning new skills. But, but for me, it was really wanting to go places and see the world. And for a long, long time, I didn't necessarily have the money to do that. So I had to figure out ways to get to other places. And I needed skills to do that. So what were you doing for money? As a kid, 8 to 14. <laughs> I did a lot of babysitting. Uh, my first job was at Famous Footwear. Uh, I did sort of whatever needed to be done. Uh, Were you required to do that or something you just out of necessity did? Uh, you know, I, th- I think my mom did a great job of providing the necessities. But, you know, I wanted to do all the things that my friends were doing and, you know, run around and eat junk food and buy clothes. And, and that was on me to earn money to do those kind of things. Did you get to you keep it? I did. You said you uh, would have been an explorer in the 1600s. Um, sounds like you actually were an explorer. Did you spend a little time overseas? I did. I was a Peace Corps volunteer. I lived in Morocco for several years. I loved it. It was a great experience. Um, some. I also worked with uh, refugees a little bit and spent some time in, in other parts of Africa. Um, and I did. I love seeing other cultures and other people and really enjoyed it. How like it? Do you like traveling now? I do. I like traveling for exploration less than for work. (laughs) How did it shape, though, the way you see the world or the way you lead? You know, I think there's no way to learn yourself better than to see you in a different context. And so I never realized how much of an American I really was until I lived abroad. Uh, And, you know, I think other things like that. I, I think for me, a lot that really shaped my career, though, is I met lots and lots of terrific people overseas. And it, it was very depressing to me. I just felt like so many people were wasted. They had great skills and they just never got the opportunity to do them. And so at one point I really made a conscious thought to come back to the States because I thought there's so much more opportunity here to help people really uh, use their skills and chart their own path and make a good life. Does your work actually reflect that thinking or is that something you do beyond work? I think it's both. Um, you know, I think I have my whole career worked in the nonprofit world, and I think a lot of nonprofits, that's what they do, is help people really open up those skills and find a way to do it. And, and you know, maybe people who have had circumstances where that hasn't come naturally, they take that next step. Um, I, I think in my job, both with our clients and, you know, with our staff, I'm always looking about, you know, how they can, can have something that helps them do a little bit more. I mean, honestly, software is tools to do more than what you can do without it. So I think that's reflected. How does growing up with, uh, you know, women in particular, and very few um, male role models back then, how does that affect who you are? Um, I... I I think it. I think I don't see a lot of barriers that other people do. Um, you know, I don't... I guess this is from my upbringing, um, but I don't... I don't, when somebody says no, I don't think I hear no. What I hear is not yet or not this way. And so I think, uh, I think that makes me good in my job and with my team and, you know, helping us move forward and helping to solve problems. What influence did your grandmother have on you? Uh, my grandmother was, a, was such a great woman. She was actually from Kansas. Her family were homesteaders. She was one of 12. And kind of late in life, she uh, came to a suburban house in Denver that she tried to make a farm. And she had, she had mechanical skills. She had gardening skills. She could cook dinner for 15 she people could do in everything. five minutes. Yes. So what in particular do you take from her that you use today? 
Uh, don't limit yourself. Try everything. There's no set roles. From. Yeah, yeah, it really did from her. She yeah. was the best. What about your aunt? My aunt. So I feel like I feel like in some ways I have gotten to live the life that my aunt wanted. She was an instructor at a beauty school. She should have run the whole thing. Uh, and uh, she worked for a man who wouldn't do that. But she she was always wanted to travel and always wanted to do things. And sadly, she didn't get to do that. But she gave she gave me a lot, and I got to. Hmm. Did she actually get your mom? to take on the responsibility or the, the career of being a, a hairdresser? No, they met. They came together after the fact that they were both doing it, yeah. Hmm. Jerry, you thinking something? Go ahead, Mark. Where, where do you go for support? Uh, kind of all over. You know, it's interesting. I have I have close friends in the area, but I have friends all over, and it we keep in touch in all sorts of ways. And and I feel really lucky. Somebody who I haven't even seen in a while, we sit down, we catch up. It's like we've never been apart. And so I feel like I have support from all sorts of different places. Because I ask because you've grown up with with a lot of role models who are very self reliant and capable and so forth. But we all need support from time to time. So that's why. Yeah. That was, well, I'll sure tell you, I love a good dinner party, uh, a few great people to talk to, and some good food, and that's very supportive for me. Mm-hmm. Mm. Melissa, what's the website address? Uh, everyaction.com. Thanks. We've been speaking with Melissa Wires, Executive Director at everyaction.com. Uh, we've had a great lineup of guests today. Jerry, would you like to do the rundown? Yes. Uh, we had Sean Boynes, Executive Director of um, the American Association for Anatomy. We had Frank Antizana, founder and CEO of iTech AG. We had Norm Lindsay, CEO of the Lindsay Group, and Melissa Wires, Executive Director of Every Action. And this is Les Smolin Vistage, and I'd like to thank my co-host, Avery Rand Cressa, Jerry Stevens Vistage, Mark Haas, AEG, and Joe Applebaum, the Potomac Companies, for helping develop our storyline, hopefully delivering to our listening audience an entertaining and educational show. And I'd like to thank our listening audience for listening. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a radio show. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com, to learn more about our executive leaders. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Executive Leaders Radio, the region's premier radio show highlighting local executive leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the show here on 1500 AM. You can learn more about Executive Leaders Radio by visiting executiveleadersradio.com or tune in next time right here on 1500 AM. That's executiveleadersradio.com.